Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Come on. Love that. Love stories of transformation, don't you? Love hearing stories of transformation. And today is going to be an amazing day. We really believe in that no matter how you got here, if you're with your family, if someone invited you that's a friend, if you thought you were coming to a study hall, however you got here, summer, our church takes what we call impact trips, okay? And an impact trip, one person's been on one, as you can tell, they're powerful. Impact trip is a time where we say, you know what, we're going to take some time out of our schedule, and we're going to go to another city, sometimes in another nation, sometimes those nations are places where people have never even heard the name of Jesus before, and we have a simple goal in that time. We're like, we want to love people, we want to get to know this culture, and we want the life of Jesus to come from with from inside of us to out of us, and people to encounter the same grace, life, hope, and resurrection that we have in him while we're there. And so we're just there to love people, to share the story of Jesus with people, to engage in culture in any way that we can. And my wife and I, beautiful wife sitting up here in the front row, her name's Elizabeth. Uh, she is a walking miracle. Follow her on Instagram, at the Liz Griffin, to get the full story. If you don't know it, you can follow me, too. She has more followers than me. We try not to make a competition, but I'm losing. I need your help. But we're leading a trip a couple of years ago, actually. We were pastors of an Antioch church in Seattle, Washington, and we're leading a trip to Tunisia. How many of you ever been to Tunisia, northern Africa? Only two of you for good reason. It is like 800 degrees there. There's nothing in Tunisia but olive trees and dirt. 
There's not a whole lot going on there. And we went, and literally every time you go outside, it's like a hairdryer is on high. You step outside, and somebody is like 10 people follow you around with hairdryers on high, blowing on you as you walk. And you step into what, what, what is an air-conditioned building, and it's just like 90, and you're like, praise God. It is hot. It is a barren place. It is a difficult place. But something that's interesting about Tunisia is that they are obsessed with America. And, and like, we would drive around, and they would, they would have these things where they were trying to do, like, what they thought we would do. Like, this is, it was a, it, it's a Muslim country, okay? So it, 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 at the time, was run by a brutal Muslim regime that didn't allow barely any freedom, but they loved the idea as a culture of a sports bar. And so they built, like, this sports bar that served only water and chips that were, like, leftover chips from London's try at chips. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it was rough, but they were obsessed with it. And my friend was like, hey, man, we've got a free uh, evening, our contact there. The guy that was kind of helping us facilitate the trip, he lived there. And he goes, man, like, there's an amusement park, and we should go. It's a ton of fun. Now, when you're with somebody who lives in a place like Tunisia and they say things are a ton of fun, you have to, like, dial your expectations back to the fact that he lives in Tunisia, right? And so olives, dirt, 180 degrees. So, like, I'm already suspect of this amusement park, and we pull up. And what I need you to visualize in your mind is you guys know those reject carnival rides that sometimes pop up, like, in Walmart parking lots in small-town America? Okay, that was the amusement park. I mean, you're talking about things that you are 50-50 chance of dying on. And there are no safety organizations coming and checking stuff. It's free for all, man. This is Tunisia, all right? And so we walk into this amusement park, this, like, sketchy carny world. And now I'm also a bit of an idiot. So I, I actually like almost dying, obviously. And so... I look at these rides, and I'm like, best day of my life. I mean, they have all the usual suspects, the, car, the, the, the Ferris wheel. They had an, a mechanical bull, which in and of itself is amazing. In Tunisia, to ride a mechanical bull is just special. And so, like, they had all the normal things, the sketchy roller coaster for your kids with, like, no seat belts and, you know, all that stuff. But they had this one ride that is now against the law in America, the spinning wheel of death. I think we have a photo of the spinning wheel of death. You guys ever seen those? All right, so check it out. Like, no seat belts, no nothing. You stand against the wall. The centrifugal force begins to spin you around so fast that you begin to not be able to move off of the wall. And then they drop the floor out, and you're just hanging there spinning around, and they start, like, tilting it all over. So I see it, right, and I'm like, Let's do it, right? I'm, I'm thinking, yes, I'm in. For these prices, how can we pass it up? You know what I mean? And so I'm like, okay, we go. And so me and a bunch of other people that were, were, were not smart get on this ride, okay? Now, you got to understand, this is Tunisia, okay? Probably here, everything's automated. It's on a timer. They push go. It does its thing. It's been safety checked. No, 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 no. Not here. This was a dude with, like, 12 joysticks, okay? Now, we're, like, the only people at this amusement park. 
And my friend who lives in Tunisia walks over with us to get on this ride. He decides not to as smart because he lives there because he knows. And so we get on this thing. There's like probably 10 of us. We get on this thing. They crank it up, you know, and like for the first two minutes, it's everything you would hope it would be. You know, it's awesome. You're like, oh, I can't move. Hey! You know, you're like spinning around and things are going crazy. And we're trying to like roll in it, you know, like just being ridiculous. But, you know, you cross a line where something like that goes from being fun to like really not fun. Like the, the, the gap in something like that of fun and horrific is like super small. When you, when you cross it, you want off of it. You know what I mean? So, like, we cross the line. And then I begin to realize it's like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. We're not even moving anymore. We're just, like, at an angle spinning to our death. So it's just, like, pitch, just like that, and just, like, looping. And I'm like, dude, they forgot about us. I'm not joking, man. That thing is just going, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not how I'm supposed to go out. I'm not supposed to go down in Tunisia, and Liz, like, looking over my dead body, being like, I told you not to get on those sketchy carny rides. I was like, I can't go out like this. And so, real talk, this is legit what happened. I'm on the wall. I start, like, scooching up like this. You, you feel me? I'm like, I get to where my head is kind of, like, at the rail, and I can see as I'm spinning, I can see my friend is talking to the dude, and they don't even know we're there. I mean, they're like engaged in this conversation. And so I'm like, I mean, I'm hollering, my friends on the door are like, JD, you gotta get him to stop. I'm like, I'm trying. Eventually, they hear one of my, and the guy, like, looks at me. We kind of make eye contact, and I have, like, the stare of death. Like, if a pastor was going to kill somebody, you look, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I was looking. I was like, dude, shut it down. And this guy, like, panics, and he's like, you know, so we go like, stop, and we are dizzy. I mean, like, super dizzy. So we all have to, like, take a minute. Is it really over? You know, like whenever you're spinning on something and it stops and you're like, am I still spinning? And so we like walk past him, you know, and he's like, oh, so sorry, so, so sorry. And I'm like, bro, get away from me, man. I'm not even going to share the gospel with you. I about died in the equivalent of a Walmart parking lot in Tunisia. You know what? There's few things in life worse than being stuck on a loop. Few things in life that are worse than looping. You have that thing that seems to always circle back. And there is a unique place of terrible for loops. Maybe it's a loop of addiction and you hate it. You hate the road that it puts you on, but you don't know how to get off. Maybe it's a, a, a loop of failed relationships. And you're like, man, look, every relationship I touch, it falls apart. And maybe it's a loop of fear. Like you, you just can't seem to take any step past the paralyzing reality of fear. Loops 
are terrible. But you know what's even worse about the hopelessness in a loop? It's that loops equal labels. Have you felt labeled by your loop? You kind of cross over from like, man, I'm a little bit anxious to, I'm an anxious person. I, I, you you, you kind of step over the line from like, man, I'm, I'm having a, a hard time figuring out how to have a healthy relationship to like, I, I'm just a home wrecker. You maybe have been married a couple of times and the marriage you're in right now is struggling. And instead of being like, man, there's hope and restoration, you're like, no, this is what happens when I get married. There's a label. Loops equal labels. And there's, there's one thing about a label that we see, right? There's, there's one thing about a label that you're aware of when you look in the mirror. And, and you might see in that quiet, lonely place those loops that have labeled you. And it's terrible, but it's nothing compared to when your loops go viral. When all of a sudden that thing that was in the dark is exposed into the light. And that loop that's killing you and that loop that you hate and that ride that you don't want to be on that you can't seem to get off of, all of a sudden everyone else is seeing you loop. And the guilt and the shame and the fear and the hopelessness is at a all time high. Loops equal labels. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus engaged a young lady who found herself in one of those loop going viral moments. When what, what once was a private struggle becomes a very public struggle and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus. For the Bible readers in the house, this story is called The Woman Caught in Adultery. It's found in the book of John. For those of you guys who might be new to the Bible, the Bible has kind of two parts. The Old Testament, which is the front part, and the New Testament, which is the back part. The New Testament starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are all accounts of the life of Jesus on earth. And so they are recounting for us what Jesus did, how he lived, how he treated people, the things that he said when he came to earth to live, ultimately die on a cross, and be risen up to life again for us. And this story, the woman caught in adultery, is found in John 8. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. If you have a phone with the Bible app, you can open it up right now. If you don't have either of those, have no fear. Technology is here. We'll put it on the screen. John 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. The he there is Jesus. Where all the people gathered around him, he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman 
was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. They kept on questioning him, and he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. The scandal of relentless grace. You have trouble really allowing myself to feel what this moment must have felt like. Can you imagine, even in our context here this morning, if a group of people ran in through the back doors with a woman potentially completely naked and throws her down at the front of the stage. It's like, what do we do now? I mean, the shame of even witnessing it would have been overwhelming let alone the shame of experiencing it. I mean, her loops that equal labels were for all to see. Now she's standing in a crowd of people saying, this one is a slut. She's a homewrecker. That's who she is. She's dirty. And Jesus, she deserves to die. What do you say? What do you say, Jesus? What are you going to tell this woman to do? How are you going to respond? It's important for us to understand that in this moment, these religious leaders, they were not actually concerned with the righteous fulfillment of the law. Because if they were, they would have fully obeyed the law, which what they're speaking of is found in Leviticus 20, verse 10, which clearly states that if someone is caught in adultery, both the man and the woman needs to be brought to the temple, not just the woman. They didn't care about the law. They they were not wanting to see some righteousness take place. They wanted to expose Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. Jesus, because Jesus had declared a bold declaration at the onset of his ministry in Luke 4. He quoted Isaiah 61, making a declaration to all that the Messiah, the hope, the one that was coming to free those who were in bondage is here. It says this in Luke 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, restore sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone was on Jesus in the synagogue. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. These religious leaders were saying, we're going to pin Jesus up against the very law that he says he's here to fulfill. He says he's here to set the oppressed free. He's here to release hope to the hopeless. He's here to bring forgiveness to those who need it. But how can he respond if the very law that God gave Moses that we are obeying declares one thing? How can Jesus tell us to do another thing? But you also have to understand the religious leaders in this day had made the law God. The law was designed to show us that we needed God. That's why Jesus was so emphatic about bringing clarity to this distortion, that it was never the design of God for us to know him through a list of do's and don'ts. But the law was designed to reveal to us that we could never live up to the righteous standard of God. That's why we need a Savior, Jesus, the one who was going to come to set the oppressed free. And so Jesus tells these religious leaders that were there to attack him, to accuse this woman, to expose her. They said, Jesus, this woman deserves to die. What do you say? I love Jesus' response in this moment because he's going to demonstrate with his body what he was going to do through his body. He knelt down. He got lower than her. You know, there's this natural thing that happens when humans interact with someone they perceive as having power. We kind of get low. And it's powerful when you see someone who has perceived power getting lower. And Jesus, when posed with this question, not taking the bait, doesn't engage in some righteous fight. Hashtag, get off Facebook. Rant to yourself. Be nice to people. Jesus gets down on the dirt. And there's all kinds of speculation. If he was like writing people's names, they were in the crowd. Like, ooh, I know what you did last night. Boucher. I was trying to think of some biblical name. Britt was with me. Thank you, Britt. Thank you. I don't know if that's what was going on, honestly. I, I think Jesus was taking a moment to say, this woman who you were trying to shame, I'm going to get lower than her so that she doesn't feel alone. How many of you think that this woman was looking with her eyes up, looking at everybody in the face? Have you ever been caught in something? Where do you look when you're caught in something? You look down on the ground. I think Jesus was getting in her gaze. I think he was like, I'm with you. You don't worry. He stands up and he says something absolutely profound. He said, look, those of you here, who don't have any loops that lead to death, go ahead. If you're loop-free, go ahead, fulfill the law. Fulfill what the law decrees. If, if you are free yourself, 
if we just can't read your labels yet, and you've got some labels, some loops that have created labels that if they were brought to light would put you in the middle of this circle, you might want to hold off. But if you are clean, if you are loop free, go ahead. Fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. You're right. Sin equals death. That is true. And these people came face to face with the reality that they have some loops too. Their loops maybe have not gotten viral yet. They're they're not for everybody to see yet. But they've got their trap. They've got their sin in their life that leads to death. And it says that one by one, starting with the older ones, down to the younger ones, just began to leave. Saying nothing, just walking off. And Jesus looks at this woman and poses a very important question. Where are they? Where are the ones who condemn you? Are they around? Do you see them? And she looks up. Maybe for the first time in this entire moment. And she says, they're not here. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see it? Jesus was the only person in the crowd that could have fulfilled the requirement of the law. He was loop free. Jesus was born fully man and fully God and did everything that we couldn't do. He lived a sinless life. Every temptation that we've encountered, that we seem to bow to, Jesus resisted, filled with faith and hope because his mission was to create a pathway back to relationship with the Father. And Jesus, the only person that could have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, looks at this woman and says, freedom equals life. Forgiveness equals hope. Yeah, loops equal labels, but forgiveness equals life. And he gave her the gift that the, then the cross then in turn gave us. She deserved to die. And Jesus stood in her place so that she could live free. And that's what Easter is all about. Is that Jesus stood in our place so that we could walk free. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserve so that we can live a life that only he can give. Sin equals death. But Jesus is a loop and a 
interrupter. Come on, somebody. Jesus is a loop interrupter. He steps into your loop and he says, no longer are you the labels that you've given yourself. No longer are you the labels that your loops have made you known for. So you can say, Jesus, forgive me. God, you're king. You did what I couldn't do so that I could have relationship with you. The greatest rescue mission that's ever been executed in the history of the world. The perfect God making a way back for sinful, broken, deprived people to have relationship that he desired, that he longed for, that he created us for, all through the sacrifice of one, so that we could say, I'm not forsaken, but I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. Come on, somebody. If that's you, you might need to say with me, I'm not forsaken. I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. If you feel stuck in a loop and you need to declare some hope of faith, could you stand to your feet right now and begin to declare with me, I'm not forsaken. I'm chosen. Come on. I'm not forsaken. I'm chosen. 